honor widows who are truly widows. When Paul says honor, he doesn't mean simply take your hat off when they walk in the room, stand up, say yes ma'am, no ma'am. He means provide for them physically, financially. We know that because the rest of the passage makes it clear. You can look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives. So when he says, honor those who are truly widows, he's talking about providing for them financially, physically. So one more place you can see this, if you, if you have your Bible open. In verse 17, Paul uses the word honor in the same way. I'm going to read it if you don't have your text open. He's talking about elders. We're going to get to this passage in a couple weeks. He says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. There's that word again. Especially those who labor in preaching and teaching, for the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. So he's saying, when he says an elder who serves well is worthy of double honor, he's saying pay them. You should pay your pastors. So we move that back over to our text, and it says, honor those that are truly widows. Provide, financially care for those who are truly widows. Now, this is not one-time handout. So at our church, if you have some sort of medical emergency or your employer is not paying you that month, we have a benevolence fund to help. People give to this church so that we can help those who are in an emergency situation, a need. But that's not what's happening here. This is a regular commitment that the church is taking on. You can see, if you've got your text open, verse 9 says that you're supposed to enroll these widows. So there's a list of widows. The church is taking them on and saying regularly, daily, weekly, monthly, we're going to provide for them. And that's what's happening here. But Paul wants to make sure that the church is doing this right. Paul knows that you can help someone in a way that is unhelpful. He does not want the church to take responsibility away from children who ought to have responsibility for their parents. I mean, you can think about the charge that would come against Christians when the outside world is, wa is watching and they're like, this kid doesn't, he, he says he trusts Jesus. He doesn't take care of his parents. What kind of God is that? And Paul wants to make sure that that doesn't happen. He also wants to make sure that the church is not using up all its resources on those who aren't truly in need. That's his other concern. Look at verse 4. Paul says, If a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to the, their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. So here's some motivation. I hope this motivates you. Children, grandchildren, people with 
needy people in your family, when you take care of those who have needs in your family, it makes God happy. That's what Paul's saying. It pleases God. He says it because he wants you to know it. When you take care of family members who are in need, it makes God happy. That should be wildly motivating for you. People want to know, am I pleasing to God? If you're in Christ and you're walking by faith, yes. Here's a specific example of what makes God happy. Taking care of your parents, your grandparents, those who have needs. Verse 8, however, gives a warning. Verse 8 says this, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Not caring for those in your earthly family amounts to a denial of Christianity. Those are strong words. I don't know that he could have said it much stronger than that. Not providing for your needy family is a contradiction to what it means to be a Christian. To claim that you have the Spirit of God and care less for the people around you than the unbelievers who don't have the Spirit of God, it amounts to a denial of the faith. talk about that more near the end. What does this mean for us? There aren't many widows in churches in the UAE who have no support. That's because if you're not a local and you don't have a way to support yourself, you can't live here. So practically for us as a church, Taking on the regular support of widows is not something that comes up ever, to my knowledge. But all of us, all of us have parents, grandparents, needs in our immediate family. And we are responsible first for the people that God has put closest to us in our earthly families. Now, I don't know what that means for you. Because there's not a one-size-fits-all solution, like here's what everyone needs to do in order to take care of their family. That requires wisdom. It requires wisdom. How am I going to take care of my aging parents or those with special needs in my family? But what should be on every Christian's mind are those questions. Are my parents, grandparents, people in my immediate family being provided for? And how can I make sure that it's happening? How can I see it happen? God loves that. He loves that. Hear that, because when it comes down to it, it's usually pretty difficult to rearrange your life, to rearrange your finances. God loves it, and he blesses it. And rather than being a contradiction, it's a confirmation of your faith. So now let's talk about why the church cares for widows. What is the concern for widows all about? First, the 
church cares for widows because of who God is. Listen to Psalm 146, verses 5 through 9. 146, 5 through 9. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob. It's not blessed are those who give help to God. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, all that's in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the mighty, no, for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. God in this text is saying, I'm glorified in helping those who are helpless. That's how God's glorified. Do you know that's what God's like? God is glorified in helping those who have no help. God is glorified in showing his strength by being the strength of those who have no strength. He glorifies himself by being the riches of those who have no riches. He shows the greatness of his heart in caring for those who are not cared for by anyone else. That's who God is. That's why Psalm 68.5 calls him father of the fatherless, protector of widows. That's who God is. Widows can be as vulnerable as you can get in this life. I was talking to a Nigerian brother who was saying that sometimes what can happen for widows that he's seen is that their husband dies or their kids are gone and other people will push them off their land and their homes, run them off because they want what they have and the widows have no way to stop. That's about as vulnerable as you can be. In the first century when Paul was writing this, if your husband died and he was a tradesman, you couldn't just take up blacksmithing the next day. If your kids weren't around, you couldn't just take care of the family farm by yourself. And there were people who were ready to take advantage of you. God shows his great heart in caring for those who are the most vulnerable, who cast themselves on him. He stakes his reputation on caring for those who have no one else to care for them. So he, he's saying in the Psalms that we just read, he's saying, I am the father of the fatherless. I am the protector of widows. See if one of them who cast themselves on me is ever put to shame. It won't happen. He won't let it happen. Our God is gracious. I hope you see that's who he is. He gives to the needy. All of us are living our lives trying to show God how much we can give to him, right? That's not what he wants. 
He's saying, I want thirsty people. I want hungry people. I want orphans. I want widows because I'm the one who gives the help. I love to give the help. The church then, as the body of Christ, that's what Ephesians 1.23 says, churches which are the glory of Christ, that's what 2 Corinthians 8.23 says, they're the display, the glory of Christ, they show what he's like when they act like him. When they care for widows, they reflect the character of God. That's why churches take care of widows. Now, this doesn't mean that the church, every time they see a need or a vulnerable, vulnerable person, they throw money at it, they start a ministry to fix it. You can see that because Paul's telling the church to be very selective. He's telling them to be very selective with the kind of people that they en enroll. The church is not first a charity or a food bank. It is, as we saw in chapter 315, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. The church's main task is to go make disciples of all nations. But in cases where there's no other way of help, the church as, a, as an organization shows what the character of God is like in caring for those who have no other care that's why the church cares for widows who are truly widows. Okay, so what I was just doing is I was showing how our text relates to the rest of the Bible. I don't want you to just think, what, is, what are these random commands for widows doing in our text? I want you to see this is not random. This is connected to who God is. It's connected to the rest of the scripture. That's what we were doing in the last point. What we're doing in this next point, the final point, is I want you to see how the commands and the warnings in this passage are related to the gospel, the good news of Christianity, and therefore relate to everyone in this room. I was trying to work real hard this week so that you don't leave thinking, I just heard a guy tell us what churches in the first century were supposed to do for widows, and I guess I should take care of my mom when she gets old. I want you to see that this text is connected to the gospel, the commands and the warnings in particular, and therefore it has something to say to you. So that's the last section. What does this passage tell us about the work of Christ? We can learn about the work that Jesus does in all of us, not just widows, by looking at the warnings here. So let's look at the warnings. I think you'll see what I'm talking about. First warning, verses 5 and 6. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead, even while she lives. So, 
Paul's saying that the widow that the church should support is someone who's looking to God to provide for her. Saying she set her hope on God. Any good that she's going to receive from the future, she knows God's the one who's going to have to deliver it because she doesn't have any other way. And so, the text says, she's laboring in prayer night and day for herself, for the needs of the church. That's her work. And that's in contrast, in the text, to being self-indulgent. Do you see that? Self-indulgent means that you indulge or you live for selfish pleasures. So Paul's saying someone who's self-indulgent, they're indulging in selfish pleasures. That's how they live their lives. They're physically alive, but spiritually, they're dead. That's what Paul's saying. Again, strong words. This person who's self-indulgent is not a Christian. A Christian widow labors in prayer for God to be glorified. She's wanting him to look great. She's not living selfishly for herself. Because those who do are dead already. If you see this in yourself, I mean, I, no one wants to call themselves self-indulgent. But if you see it in yourself, yeah, I, I do live for what I want. Sometimes I play the long game. I give people what they want for a little while, but in the end, I'm after what's in it for me. If you see that in yourself, there's a better way. There's a happier life. It's found in being forgiven by Jesus Christ and transformed so that you live for him. So that's my just encouragement for you. If you see this in yourself and you say, yeah, basically, I live for me, you need to be changed and God will do it, and you can be happy in him forever. Okay, so that's warning number one. She who is self-indulgent is dead, even while she lives. Now, warning number two comes in verse 8, where Paul is talking to families. Look at verse 8. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So if you don't care for the people who are closest to you, especially in your immediate family, you deny, you contradict the faith. Why is that? And why is self-indulgence a contradiction? Why? So, so why is Paul putting these warnings in here? If you're self-indulging, you're not a Christian. You're dead. If you don't care for the people who are closest to you, you're denying the faith. You're not a Christian. Why is it? Because the good news that we believe as Christians is, one, that Christ Jesus, by his sinless life, sacrificially dying in our place for our sin purchases for us complete forgiveness. 
and, and. When we believe in him, he changes us by the Holy Spirit. An essential part of the good news is not simply that Jesus forgives you of all your sins apart from your works, which is glorious. We will never get over the fact that we have been called righteous by God apart from anything we've ever done. We'll never get over it. But there's more to it than that. He gives you the Holy Spirit who changes who you are at the core when you first believe and stays with you to empower you to become day by day more like Jesus. That's an essential part of what we believe when we trust in Christ. Listen to Galatians 3.14. I'm going to read a few texts to show you this. Galatians 3.14 says, In Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham comes to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Jesus got you the Holy Spirit when he died and rose from the grave. And what does the Spirit do to you? 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, Jesus died for all, so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. So Jesus dies in part to give you the Spirit, and he changes who you are at the core so that no longer living for your own selfish desires at the very bottom, you want God. That didn't happen before you trusted in Christ. And the Spirit gives you power day by day to become more like Christ. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit. So what the Spirit produces in Christians is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You want to be more loving? You've got the Spirit. That's what He does. He changes you. So Paul can give these warnings to widows and to the family members of widows because... The good news is not only the promise of forgiveness apart from works, it's transformation as well. That's why he can say, if you're, you're living the same way you were before you came to Christ, you don't know him. God changes you when you first trust in him by the Spirit. He changes you. Now, that doesn't make you sinless. Anybody relieved to hear that? Not even close. But at the core, he's changed you so that you want him more than anything else. And God gives you the Holy Spirit to remain with you, to give you power every day. So here's the warning. The warning is this. To widows and to family members of widows, if you live for yourself, if you don't consider the needs of those that God has put in your life, above your own, 
you don't know him and you don't have his life, we should take those warnings seriously. Take them seriously. When you come across a warning in the Bible, don't just be like, "Mm, it's not for me. Take it seriously. This is intended to wake us up. What? Self-indulgent people are dead? If I don't take care of my family members, I'm denying the faith. That's what it's supposed to do. Wake you up. Take the warning seriously. But I want you to see the flip side as well. These warnings can be true only because when you know God, he really does give you power to change. That's really good news. That's good news for me. I do not want to be the same next year as I am today. I don't know if anybody else feels that way. I want to change. I want to be more like Jesus and more happy in him. If you're trusting in Christ and you want to be more like him, there's power for that. He purchased it for you. If you want to be a more loving, hospitable, gentle, patient person, there's power for you for that. Go down the list, whatever it is, you see it's not like Jesus in you. There's power for you for that. It's part of the package he purchased for you when he died on the cross and rose again. And that's really good news, believer. It's essential. If you want to change, ask him. Really ask him. Jesus Christ did not go to the cross, suffer the shame and the wrath of God in order to begrudge you when you come to him for what he purchased for you. If you ask him, you really ask him, you say, God, I'm not patient. I'm not. I freak out inside when I'm late. I'm not a peaceful person. Please change me. He's not going, you know what? forget it. I died for you. He's saying, that's exactly what I died for. He'll give it. So by asking him and by believing, living on his word as though it's true, there's more than enough power for however you need to change. And he'll give it to you so that you can be happy in him. So, Redeemer, God is fundamentally gracious, kind, the helper of the helpless, father of the fatherless, protector of widows. That's the kind of God we have. Isn't that true in Christ? He didn't ask us to make a big ladder to climb up to him. He sent his son to die for us. That's who he is. He's put us into a spiritual family so that we could care for one another. But he's also put us in earthly families. And the way we walk with him and the way we love those he's put into our lives shows whether we really trust him or not. But because Jesus wins us the Spirit by his death and resurrection, 
we can walk with him more. We can love those around us more. And when we do, when we love those nearest us in our spiritual family and in our earthly families, it shows that God is a God of grace. His character shines. He gets the glory, and we get the joy. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are this kind of God. You are the protector of widows. You help the needy. Oh God, we need you, and we pray that you would work on us. Thank you for the Spirit. Thank you that these warnings can be true, that those who live like they did before they claimed the name of Christ haven't been changed and they don't know you because you purchased the Spirit. Oh, I pray that we would believe that, ask you for help, trust your word, and you would change us. We know, Father, you, your son said it, it is your good pleasure to give us the kingdom. So help us, Lord, change us. Now as we sing, I pray that you would fill us with the Spirit, that more sincerely we would sing these words and treasure you in our hearts. Help us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Please stand as we continue to